0: So how you doing, Stan?
1: Hey, great guys. How you doing?
0: Good, good.
1: How's my hair? I didn't have anybody to do hair and makeup today, <laughs> so you're getting me in the raw.
0: No, it's looking
2: real good. Yeah, hey. yeah,
0: yeah. A one. Yeah, we we like you know kind of a raw dog appearance anyway. So you know, typically
2: <laughs> I take about an hour on my hair every morning. <laughs>
1: Where you guys at in Sac?
0: Yeah, yeah. You know we're we have the old old Midtown building.
1: Yes, indeed. I saw that. I've been watching you do some training. Watch Fatty get all lean all by himself. Good he, job. He did. Not bad, huh? <laughs> it looked great. I'm trying to get
2: my speedo on, a little posing or something. We'll see. Yep, just in time for winter.
1: Good for you. Yeah,
2: yeah. Beach, beach is it's pouring rain out here. It's I'm ready for the beach.
1: <laughs> oh man, yeah. I just I'm in Vegas. I just got back from uh, Columbus, where I was at the uh, Swiss symposium presenting for Merrick Health and Elite FTS. It was a good weekend. A lot of people showed up. Probably over 500 people there. Wow. West.
2: I saw pictures. It looked insane. Is, is this their first, or have they been doing that? Uh, it has been
1: doing it, but it was in Canada. Yeah, oh. Swiss has been
2: around since like the 80s, I think.
0: 90s for sure.
1: Yeah, real popular. Yep, good group. But this, I think it's the first time they did it in the U.S., and they, they partnered with uh, Elite FTS, and it was a great presentation there in the uh, in, uh, downtown columbus awesome
2: yeah i saw a lot of familiar names and a lot of friends uh uh you know jordan shallow i think Steffi cohen
1: a bunch of a bunch yeah, of familiar Eddie Cone, faces Yeah, eric serrano there was a good group there yours truly yeah would of you uh, what
2: was your what was your uh presentation on
1: uh blood testing hormone optimization nice so
0: are you involved like directly with the company or were you just presenting on the yeah behalf? with
1: merrick Yep, I've been forwarding folks to them for blood tests and stuff. They put together a really affordable plan. You know how I like to get all my clients to get blood tests, and they're about half the price of what I've been paying for 10 years. So I was all for it. Yeah, they do a great job. That's awesome.
0: Uh, And you have a gym, yeah?
1: Indeed, Sin City Iron. Yeah, it uh, has all the little goodies that I love, but uh, we cleaned it up and made the prices too high for power lifters. So (laughs) 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 So it's so it'll stay clean, but uh, we love it. Ben, uh, uh, we had some had some great lifters join us. Uh, Joe Sullivan, uh, and uh, who else is over there? His his girlfriend's over there. Uh, ben Pollock has joined us over there. So oh, we wow. got some great lifters over oh, wow. yeah.
2: there. Yeah, Vegas, Vegas is a little bit of a hot spot. You
1: know, Mike, indeed, we're all we've all kind of spread out. Micah is down here, but he's got his own club.
0: Yeah. Um, Mikey was, was just down there, weren't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I go
2: to Vegas. You know Bart Kwan.
1: Well, of course, yeah. Bart comes over and trains there as well. Oh, yeah. I, I, w- I would have mentioned that, but uh, he's not exactly a power lifter. but Poor guy. good guy.
2: Poor guy. You know, just trying to get that five-plane squat, you know? <laughs> Still, no.
1: Uh, no, he hit it. Okay. He hit it. Okay.
2: He's running marathons and I things. Keep... He's doing a bunch of BS.
1: Yeah, yeah. I keep trying to slip him some D ball and saying it's creatine. Yeah. To tell him I can help him out. Yeah. He needs it. He needs a poor guy. He needs
2: and
0: aren't they trying to have a baby again, though? I mean, or
2: um, I think I think ish. ish. Yeah. They're
0: they're they're not, not trying to have a baby.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. don't know the exact plan, but they just moved houses. Yeah. They always have a bunch of shit going on. Yeah, I bet they do. I bet they do.
0: Well, what we wanted to talk to you about today, although we haven't talked to you in ages and so it's this is Long overdue, but uh, one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about, I guess particularly, was that this is the ten year anniversary of the Backyard Meet of the Century, and under I'll be darned,
1: boy, time flies. Yeah,
0: it really does. Yeah, the, actually, it's uh, two days away. It was it's November third of uh, of twenty twelve.
1: That- That's incredible. I've got a ten ten year old daughter now and an eight year old son. A lot has happened in that time. Yeah,
0: no kidding. I uh, I think normally. Uh, for something like this, we'd be talking about um, you know your your achievements in the meet, but what we're really talking about is your achievements for making the meet happen. Because <laughs> I I had remembered exactly what your what what had happened with you in that meet, and I think you got injured on the squat. Is that is that correct? I just
1: I just I just flat out bombed mm-hmm. on the squat. Okay, a month prior, I hit that uh, nine oh five in training. Right. And, uh, so I thought I, I could open at nine Oh three and, uh, just everything seemed to fall apart for me. And that was, it's probably my worst showing. And I just bombed on the squat and couldn't even compete, but everybody else I think performed quite well.
0: Yeah. What a field and that, in that meet, it was, it was crazy for people who are going to go to, uh, open powerlifting and, and try to look at the results of this meet, it's actually, it was called the Men's Fall Open 4 and one and not the Backyard Meet of the Century. That's just the nickname that we had for it. But Dan Green, Brandon Lilly, all three little bridges. um, Mike Farr did this meet.
2: Might have been my first meet, maybe yeah. my second meet. It
0: may well have been. Um, Uh, who else, Uh, Brett Willis, um, Max Aida, I think Max did it, yeah,
2: this was such uh, an early time in raw powerlifting, obviously we can go over, you know, some of your uh, achievements helping run the meet, Stan, and, and, and what you helped there, but like, for me, this meet was like the Oh we got a little echo gym. Yeah, we do. I don't know what to do about it. It's going to make me not be able to speak sometimes. Now oh, it's gone. you're good now. Um it was kind of like the 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 like ribbon cutting for raw powerlifting. Yeah. And it's just obviously exploded since then. Um and a lot of that I I, I throw to you too Stan, you Dan Green to make it, you know, no offense to our multiply friends out there but to make it cool, to look good and lift Arguably the same amount, if not more, than these multiply guys who are all hairy and wearing, you know, construction clothes all day and fat. Um, not but, that
0: there's anything wrong with construction clothes, but they're wearing them by choice, not because they were, in, were involved in construction.
2: Yeah, you're benching in jorts for no reason, but you know, now you look cool. You look good. You look healthy. You look fit, and you're squatting 900 pounds, where multiply guys are only, you know, out squatting you by a hundred, and you're in nothing but knee wraps. I think that started to really open the eyes on the internet, and obviously YouTube, Instagram started to come about during that time to expose um, the talent. Yeah, the talent, uh, you know, that you and Dan and, and many lifters have come down the road. Um, what what is that from your perspective? Do do you also see it maybe as the beginning of raw powerlifting?
0: We'll be back with Stan's answer right after these messages.
1: I get a lot of feedback in that regard that people uh, felt as though they could kind of power build and, and do both bodybuilding and powerlifting or be strong and be fit. Uh, and it, that was kind of inspiring for them, motivating for them. And of course, now we see it, uh, these, these kids popping up out of everywhere uh, it's amazing that the level of talent and the conditioning uh, that these kids have, and, and they're, they've far surpassed what we were doing just 10 years ago. And I'm blown away when I get on the internet every day and see these, uh, these young kids, I say young kids, because they're a lot of them are in their twenties uh, and early thirties. And they're doing things that, uh, you know, far beyond what we had achieved. you see, uh, you know, 900 and a thousand pound squats with Jamal and a host of others that, uh, are are doing big lifts and it's pretty incredible what's being accomplished right now. Records are falling. You know, of course, Larry wheels smashed all the records. Now there's people coming up behind him uh, doing even bigger things.
0: I uh, was listening to uh, the podcast of our friends over at massonomics a couple weeks ago, and they did a uh, greatest of all time power lifter draft where the the two of them, along with the uh, Steve and Angelo from the Two White Lights podcast, who are, by the way, very USAPL, raw, natty-oriented guys, yeah? Uh,
2: Angelo, I think he will announce some of the pro USPA meets and stuff, too. Okay. He's in the know, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. Um, and so they did this draft, and uh, Steve actually chose you as uh as uh, for his team you were you were number 5 on his team but you were in good company okay john hack uh sergey mike bridges uh Jaroslaw olek and then and then stan effording and part of their conversation around it was the fact that you and dan green uh made it clear that you didn't have to be fat and sloppy to to set records in powerlifting
1: yeah as long as you were under 308 that's for sure. yeah what I thinks uh, I, I, what I think is pretty incredible now is that a lot of those guys you know originally you'd see somebody with a single lift and it was very impressive and uh, but you know failed to to achieve the same level of uh, I think of of uh, accomplishment in the other two lifts and now most of those names you mentioned they have all three lifts they have huge totals. I think at the time I totaled 2303, there were fewer than 10 or 15 people in the world who had done that raw. And now there's, I think there's north of 30, maybe 40 uh, people that have, have totaled. And now we've seen some 2,400 plus. And uh, didn't we just touch 2,500 recently? I'm, I'm not even certain, but it's it's incredible what's going on.
0: Yeah, I think that, that that's true. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly who, who that is, but.
2: Yeah, there's too many numbers going on. I can't keep up anymore. Yeah,
0: I, well, there's so many it's more parameters than there used to be.
1: Agreed. And I think that's an important distinction to make. We saw that in the UFC originally, uh, and especially with the women. And and over the years, you see, as participation increases, you start to see the outliers uh, and people who have evolved with many years of training. And now we've got the same thing. The more people that participate the more of these uh, names that you just mentioned, they kind of just pop up and you're like, where did that guy come from? Yeah. And you start to see some of the more genetically gifted people, potentially uh, not sucking anything away from how hard they've worked. And I think also the knowledge has evolved as well. And uh, we've we've got gotten a lot smarter. And I think people are um, not getting injured as fast. And having such short careers, because we used to just push ourselves as far as we could, as hard as we could, until we burned out. Now I see guys that are a little smarter about that. I kind of did that purely by accident, because I was competing in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Mm. So I wouldn't be lifting heavy or staying heavy all year round. And those folks who follow my program understand that I'm big on periodizing your body weight uh, and your training loads with the season. Even with Hofthor Bjornsson, I had him come down from near 440 pounds to the high 390s uh, when he wasn't actually competing and then we'd bring him back up um, and we try and decrease his loading and uh, i think even eddie Cohn, you know for many many years he would compete twice a year and in between each powerlifting meet he would spend at least three or four months doing bodybuilding type movements single leg leg presses bent rows behind the neck presses those kinds of things and i i think that really helps lengthen your career and and uh, Uh, Makes you strong from all angles. You're not as susceptible to injury uh, and just not as much fatigue involved in the training.
0: Yeah, it seems like the, the, the biggest names are getting, you know, one or two or at the very most three meets in a year.
2: I do wonder if that's going to change, because um, as the sport's growing now, there's a lot of money meets, which is awesome for the sport, right? And talking about talent pool, how do you get better talent in the thing? I think we're just scratching the surface. You got more, more money, more sponsorships, more recognition. Plus, now it's cool to be a lifter all of a sudden, where we used to be the outcasts. Um, but I wonder if people are going to have to push too hard to keep up, because now there's you know five to six paid paid meets, and if you're trying to be a pro power lifter and, and compete all the time and make a living out of this now now we're kind of heading backwards and you know that's a big talk in regular sports right is the basketball nba season too long is baseball too long yeah. are we putting out our our top athletes um at risk for injury just based on wear and tear and i do wonder in the next five years how that'll shake out in powerlifting. Um, because again, I think the pro meets are cool and I think it's a great step for the sport to be able to get these athletes paid for the effort and the talent they have. Um, but then now you're forcing them into a niche. UFC is, is a really good comparison, I think, to powerlifting in that sense, right? Like you can't fight every three months. You're, you're literally going to die. Yeah. Um, but then how do you pay the bills?
1: Yeah, that's true. I would say that you could probably get away with four meets a year, uh, three to four meets a year if you were really cautious about the fatigue and You know, I train UFC fighters now and I I train a lot of athletes and I don't uh, emphasize high fatigue movements in the gym for them. Um, I intentionally eliminate a lot of the eccentric loading, do a lot of sled work. Of course, you see this. This is quite common in Louis Simmons' Westside barbell training program. Uh, A lot of sled work, a lot of GPP, and then try and do a lot of concentric movements. I'm uh, just, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, C.T. Fletcher called me about three months ago, asked me to come down and, and do a little guest deadlift at his iron wars in January. And to be honest with you, I hadn't really deadlifted very heavy and I was struggling with 600 pounds. And so I had to implement a, uh, a deadlift program. And I just at 55 years old, I don't have the, the kind of uh, recovery that I used to have. And so I started using box squats, and uh, good mornings off of pins. So I could focus mostly on the concentric portion of the movement. And I went from 600 three months ago to 725 a few weeks ago, uh, just from doing that. And I only deadlift once a month. And so that's, that's kind of how I think that if powerlifters want to compete more often, they're going to have to use a lot of, uh, I think low fatigue training, and probably not be lifting North of 85, 90% of their one rep max as frequently in order to, and then just kind of ramp that up for, for the meat. I think they can do it.
0: It makes sense. Um, you know, speaking of of meats that became big, the the uh, backyard meat of the century ten years ago. How did that come about? I feel like you you were definitely the driving force behind it. I know that you you helped get a lot of the lifters uh, into this building back then. Uh, what was the impetus of that?
1: Yeah, I don't remember. I just thought I think we Mark and I just thought it would need to be able to get everybody together on one platform like they used to do back when Eddie Cohn was competing and you'd see the best lifters all competing against each other. Uh, as as time developed, you found out you could throw meets anywhere. And so people were doing meets in their region, uh, which I think is smart. You know, people whine about uh, where you compete, but the weights, I mean, if you're using calibrated plates and, uh, you know, Federation judges, it's all the same. Why would you want to fly five, seven, nine hours and, uh, you know, potentially impact your performance and, and, you know, with the water cut and everything else. Um, you know, I know that when the world's strongest men compete, I try and get them there a week before the competition so I can try and mitigate some of that problem and get them, get them sleeping well and eating well and, and Airbnb so that they're rested and ready to go. But not everybody has the opportunity to do that. Nick Best used to fly out uh, a red eye the night before competing uh, from his job here because he couldn't get any, any days off and would have to come back sunday night and be at work on monday so uh, it's just it's not it's not optimal so yeah we did we reached out to all those guys i think we paid for their flights and um you know we just wanted to all get together and, and have fun with it And we were all in the back warming up together it was uh it was an exciting event
0: yeah it really was and i think that you know our theory is that just the energy around that really drove um it's kind of the mainstream. I, I I don't know what the um the mainstreaming of raw lifting. I don't know what uh USAPL uh and USPA were doing in terms of raw at that time. Um it just I don't think it was nearly as big as it is now. I think it was a, a lot of single ply um
2: yeah, in it, that moment. It would be interesting to even see the numbers and I, I remember looking at some of the membership numbers of the USPA and the USAPL raw from like 2014 15 16. And they were multiplying rapidly, but twenty, eleven, twelve, thirteen, it just feels like a lot of powerlifting wasn't happening in general. And so to get all the best in the same room, yeah was like like Stan even said was kind of rare because everyone's just competing where it's convenient, um, and there's just less people doing it. Yeah. This is sort of a um kind in some
0: ways probably inspired by the old Mountaineer Cup that uh that Ed kind of dominated um back in the day and was on TV, for heaven's sakes.
1: Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? I remember growing up watching World's Strongest Man on ESPN with my dad all those many years, and uh, they're just you just don't have uh, that kind of exposure anymore, and uh, it's a shame. But, you know, with social media now, with all the videos, I'm shocked. I was I was just out yesterday. I took the kids trick-or-treating uh, down here in, in Vegas, and a, gentleman, a young gentleman approached me, and he was like, hey, you're Stan Efforting. I watch your videos. And, you know, I haven't had lifting videos in over 10 years, competitive lifting videos. And this kid was in his 20s. And I just think that uh, they're they're finding us. They're, they're watching. They're seeing this go on on social media, and they're getting exposed to it. Uh, and like you said, now a lot of these young kids are getting involved at an earlier age. Um, and, you know, the real great story about all this, I think, is – How many women are competing now? How many amazingly strong women are competing now? Back when we were competing, it was hardly any. um, I think CrossFit had a lot to do with that. I think a lot of the strong girls in CrossFit really uh, kind of uh, uh, enjoyed the heavy lifting more than all the endurance stuff. And so they started entering meets. And now you've got a two-day meet, and Saturday would be men and Sunday would be women. And they're both equally packed and sold out. And you've got girls. Obviously, Steffi Cohn's done an incredible job. Uh, But the younger girls, Amanda Lawrence, I mean, what an incredible talent squad in, you know, mid 500s at at early 20s. It's savage what some of the girls are accomplishing now, too. And they're filling up entire rosters and selling out, uh, you know, all the events. It's great.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I think even culturally. The, the shift with women is even crazier because guys always wanted to be jacked and muchismo and bullshit. So it's normal for us to be like, oh, Stan and Dan Green did it. I want to be jacked and lift big weights. But for ladies to have muscle was, you know, so, so, so taboo. And then I think you're probably right. CrossFit made it cool. Like, oh man, these girls are, you know, moving some real weight. They're running around. They look really good. What if I just lift weights? It's okay to put on some muscle. And, you know, the cliche strong is sexy type deal came about, but it is true. And and it's cool for them yeah. to kind of build confidence through that rather than um, be so niched out. Yeah. yeah, I remember even early, you know, 2010, 11, 12 powerlifting women felt like such a different breed where now you just go to the grocery store and you'll see someone with some big old delts on them, you know?
1: Yeah. And quads like crazy. And I think it does. It bodes well for their health, too. I think, that again, originally started with the CrossFit group. You started seeing these women that weren't so obsessed with uh, the scale and trying to be, uh, you know, Victoria's Secret skinny. Mm. Uh, and it, it's better for their health. Their lot of eating disorders came from those uh, that scale. And these girls now they just they look at they focus on strength. And, and we've seen we see now even the longevity industry far from powerlifting. Uh, we see all of these folks, Dr. Peter Atia and many others, uh, Dr. Gabrielle Lyons, they uh, they focus on on strength first and foremost. They talk about uh, lifting weights as the, and eating sufficient protein as being the foundation for health span and lifespan.
0: Yeah, I I have seen recently that the, um, the actual recommendation for protein as people age has increased. Um, maintaining muscle mass is like such a critical part of 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 continuing health
1: yeah they use grip strength as a proxy but when they measure uh elderly populations those with the greatest grip strength live the longest another myth that's gone by the wayside fortunately is uh, adolescence training the american academy of pediatrics has said now that weight training for adolescents is essential that's their word quote unquote um and it not only helps with bone mineral density it obviously but Uh, Injury prevention in sports—it's one of the least injurious uh, activities that kids can participate in, and it decreases injuries in other sports, certainly uh, contact sports like football, soccer, etc. So I started a kids' power hour at my Sin City gym here in Las Vegas. That's awesome. And we've now got uh, darn near 30 kids that come in, and they're—I mean, I said from kindergarten to college, uh, bring them in, and sure enough. We've got little five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, and we're squat benching and deadlifting, and we run through the lifts. And uh, they're, they're loving it. They're coming back. The kids are enjoying the challenge. And my focus is uh, a heavy five. I'm not in there just having them with a, a dowel or a plastic tube or something. I'm trying to load them as heavy as they can handle for five good reps with good form, and then each week see if we can build on that. And it's uh, they progress very quickly, obviously, Neural adaptation and coordination being the first adap- uh, first progress that they make. Uh, but now th- these kids, every single week they come in, they want to beat what they did the week before. Uh, that seems to be the same with, with all populations that come in and lift. If you focus on strength, it's not only beneficial for their health, uh, but it's also um, it uh, encourages them for uh, more compliance long term.
2: Yeah, that's why I've always thought the risk-to-reward argument, you know, with the barbell or lifting weights, is just such a silly one. Because all statistics and data show how safe it is compared to even running, let alone soccer, basketball, football, or regular sports. And people don't bat an eye when they throw their five-year-old in, in soccer. Not that I'm against that; I think it's dope. But if you told, "Oh, I want your five-year-old to deadlift a little bit," they'll freak out like you're about to kill their kid. Where meanwhile, you're 100 percent right. Yeah, they could be it's twisting far... ankles and knees everywhere.
1: Yep. The injuries are far less, uh, lifting than they are for just about any context board. I think it's equivalent to swimming, to be honest with you. Yeah. And 65% of injuries uh, associated with weightlifting is dropping a weight on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even from the lifting. Right. So you can do that uh, in
2: the road or lifting groceries. Yeah, for sure.
1: We've all done that. So, uh, it's, it's been exciting. The kids love it. They're, they're happy to come every week. The parents are all posting on social media. Now it's grown to the point where we have to have, uh, uh, three or four of us just to to get them all. Uh, it's like chasing chickens. <laughs> some of the, the little the little guys and and girls. And uh, I'll also say that uh, uh, some of them, you know, they're it, the coordination is a huge deal. Once they yeah. bend their knees, they yeah. just they just kind of collapse like a baby giraffe. Uh, and so, uh, but they so quickly. I mean, within just one session, one one hour session, uh, we're able to get them to to uh, effectively execute at least one of the lifts and then uh, within just a week or two they're able to maintain stabilization in their core and and start to at least move the bar.
0: How do you feel about sports with your own kids?
1: Well I I don't want to be a trophy dad I think that uh, here's well here's a few things we do know obviously the the weight training helps decrease injuries kids are should uh, be very active and you can do that in a whole host of different ways jungle gym uh, you know just getting them to participate in anything you should make it fun and they should participate in multiple sports. We're seeing in high school that the best athletes are the ones that uh, were multi-sport athletes and uh, also the least injurious because of repetitive strain potentially uh, by focusing on just one sport. We see that with uh, you know primarily like baseball pitchers and, and things like that. So uh, I, I just think it has to be fun. And that was what I designed the kids power hour for first and foremost mm-hmm. If I sat in there and obsessed over their form, which, you know, when you look at the literature, there, there's, not much, uh, there, there's not much agreement now that there's a, a perfect form. Uh, all these kids are different, and they probably would have a hard time hurting themselves, to be honest with you. They just aren't strong enough. Um, they just don't have the kind of, of recruitment patterns that could potentially expose them to injury. So I've, I set up, um, you know, spud straps as spotters, And so if they do crush under a squat, uh, then at least, you know, it stops them. Mm -hmm. And I do face guards for bench presses. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as for deadlifting, you know, I just try and get them to um, obviously not to round their back too far. But the literature doesn't even suggest that that's a problem, that the kids can handle it. Um, I just I just trying to give them some technique uh, tips so that they can they can uh, progress long term.
0: Yeah, it's funny to me how often you can see a toddler deadlifting a kettlebell yeah. without having any, like like their body weight probably and not having any yep. sense of it at all. It, they just No, and it they out. look
1: like a scared cat. Yeah. And you'd think that that would be bad for their lumbar, but in fact, there's no evidence of that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I obviously try and teach them to to maintain a, a neutral spine, but uh it, like you said, you get a toddler grabbing hold of a of a kettlebell, they just aren't strong enough to hurt themselves, to be honest. And I think one of the big things that the big myths out there was that it would stunt their growth. And there's just no evidence of that.
0: Yeah. My, uh, my own grandchildren are in Canada and Canada has a kind of robust system called Sportball that basically just teaches skills for different sports. Um, They don't necessarily call the sports by always call their sports by the, by the, actual names they're they're especially i think they start as young as uh, very young i don't know i think i think my younger uh, my older grandson maybe started before he was two um and you know he is not a giftedly graceful child however he is much more graceful after years of of sport ball and years of gymnastics like he's never going to be you know, he's never going to be a, a an ice skater or a gymnast or whatever. But he looks better because his body has been through all of that, um, you know, one hour a week or so uh, training. Yeah, you know, what
1: PE is supposed to be? You
2: know, what PE is supposed to be,
1: exactly. Or it used to be, and now it's only one day a week. You can set up a pyramid, if you will. Uh, the foundation of that pyramid would be strength and cardiovascular fitness. That would be the foundation of the pyramid for sports. Uh, the next level up would be run, jump, throw. And the next level up would be that will all be considered your GPP, your general physical preparedness. Uh, and the next level up would be your, your SPP, your specific skills that you uh, utilize in, in you know, practicing a particular sport, learning to you know, effectively uh, shoot a three-pointer or a, a free throw shot. All those are specific skills. I like the idea of creating the foundation and that kids can specialize at any time throughout their uh, throughout their adolescence as they just you know discover the uh, activity they enjoy the most because it should be fun again. And as long as you uh, give them a the foundation of strength and cardiovascular fitness, lifting weights and running, uh, I think sprinting is one of the most extraordinary things that you can uh, have your kid do regularly because uh, it builds both strength and uh, cardiovascular fitness. And the cardiovascular fitness and the strength uh, help kids to uh, run faster, jump higher, and throw further. And then any specific skill you attach to that foundation is going to be um, is going to be mastered in a, in a much more effective manner.
2: I think the GPP stuff, uh, not only like you said, like focusing on performance for anyone, let alone kids, will make them uh, more likely to want to continue and have fun. Oh, I did forty pounds last week, I did forty two this week. Like that's much more exciting than even even, you know, I played basketball my whole life. Like you you can't see yourself progress day to day. You know, it's not like, oh, my shot got so much better today. You know, it's such a a, a, a macro skill that if I shoot every day for th- six months, my shot got better, but you can't even tell, right? There's a little bit of percentage or stats there, but you can literally see day to day if you deadlift more, if you run a quicker mile, et cetera, et cetera. And those are skills that last forever. Yeah. I haven't touched a basketball in years, you know, but learning how to hinge properly, now you can deadlift until until you're in the ground. You could deadlift forever.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's what I mentioned earlier is the really addicting property of lifting weights is it's measurable and progressible. And then if you want it to be transferable, then it just has to have the correct, uh, you know, distance, velocity and direction. And, and that's could be easy to tack on to that foundation. But uh, we like to set PRs. Yeah. Uh, we like to put up a whiteboard, put the kid's name on it, mm. uh, build out a whole host of different exercises that are strength oriented. And then tell them, you know, you could do a five rep max, you could do, uh, you know, your max number of chin ups, you could do obviously squat bench deadlift, but there's a whole host of different exercises you could attach a, a PR to that doesn't require a single rep max.
2: What are some of those conversations look like uh, with the parents? Obviously, if you got, you know, a bunch of kids running around, the parents are the ones deciding if they go or not. Have you had to convince some parents or ask a bunch of questions? Because the other myth we didn't talk about um, is uh, uh, muscle slowing you down kind of deal. Like there's the injury one. There's the stunt and growth. They're like, oh, no, I don't want my kid to be all muscular. He's going to be muscle bound. Yeah, right. If he's muscle yeah. bound, yeah. he can't be good at football or basketball. And he's a basketball player.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, we do acknowledge that uh, some kids say football linemen are going to want to be bigger, uh, way more. And we also acknowledge that people in weight related sports, gymnastics and sprinting and uh, maybe not sprinting so much, but certainly distance running, uh, wrestling, that you're going to have to be uh, aware of your body weight. But you do want to, you know, a, a pretty good strength to weight ratio. And that's controlled in the kitchen, to be honest with you, the weight training itself is really as you know, just to increase strength, increase force production uh, so that they can, again, run faster, jump higher, and throw further. I do send them the literature from the American Academy of Pediatrics and some other great uh, stuff. Barbell Medicine uh, has a, a fantastic five-part. Um, i trying to remember the author of that series uh, on children's training. I think he's out of Stanford. Uh, it'll come to me, but uh, there's just some fantastic information. I'll send them bits and clips and uh, so that they, they can appreciate what we're trying to do there, as well as helping them understand that, that progress is uh, is uh, is best had with a significant level of effort. And a lot of people think that it's, you know, I don't think, I don't necessarily, unless a kid wants to compete in bodybuilding or powerlifting, I don't necessarily want them to be a bodybuilder or a powerlifter. I just want, those are all just tools. I quickly put kids under SSB bars on boxes. Uh, it, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a, a squat, a normal squat, uh, just to see if I can get them to progress, uh, on their, you know, and improve their speed. I do that obviously with, with the, um, uh, the junior high schools and high schoolers because the 40 time becomes what ultimately we're trying to improve in the vert. And if we're trying to improve 40 times in verts, then I'm just interested in force production and, and the squat is just a tool. So any bar or any variation thereof that I can, I can affect, a uh, you know, a strength gain, then I'm going to do that.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think that um, a thing that we forget about in the industry sometimes is that most people are not going to compete at anything. Most people are just looking to be healthier if they're if they're smart. Yeah, or look better. Or, or look better. Yeah. Um. You know, not, have a decent metabolism. Uh, have fun. Uh, look okay on vacation. You know. <laughs> yeah.
2: Maybe. Yeah. Get better for even a hobby. Yeah. Get better for your weekend golf or yeah. your weekend not, whatever.
0: Not be diabetic when they're in their fifties or sixties or younger, um, you know, th- that's just the majority of people. And if you're starting yeah. as a kid and you, you were starting with that value, I mean, during the time that, that uh, um, after we opened, cause we opened a car, you know, just heart of the pandemic, November, 2020, most of the people that we had in the gym, Were people who were just absolutely dedicated to staying fit, and also probably working from home, and had to get the hell out of the house, and so they would come here, and it would be you know a, a safe, comfortable place to continue to pursue that fitness. And I mean, people were people really got after it. Yeah. Not that they don't now, because they do now, but like back then, you know, you might have two or three people in the in the gym at a given time, and they're all just killing it in a very self-directed way and I, I would kind of wish i could go back and ask them like when did that start for them
2: yeah because that's a, a recent trend i feel like people that squat bench and deadlift and really want to progress in it but they have zero interest in competing yeah that's got to be kind yeah, of a no, newish just, thing you know there's
1: two other groups that that migrate to if they're if, if they're directed uh, i think correctly they migrate towards weightlifting for two other big reasons. One is they were yo-yo dieters and they've lost so much muscle tissue that they're on this ultra restrictive caloric intake and they're still not losing weight. Mm-hmm. And those people need reverse dieting. They need to build a bunch of muscle. Uh, I've come across a lot of bikini competitors over the years that uh, will be down to 1,250 calories and just can't make any more progress and will stay away from competing for 12 or 18 months doing reverse dieting until they get up to 24, 2500 calories. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking about 123 pound, you know, bikini girl competitor eating 23, 24, 2,500 calories. We do that in the gym by building muscle. And it takes a year, 18 months for those people. That they've chronically been dieting to, uh, to reverse that trend. And then they can get ready for shows, you know, somewhere North of 2000 calories, just lifting a lot of weights and not doing a ton of cardio. Another group that comes in, uh, and that works for, for soccer moms too, who have been chronically dieting and yo-yo dieting, losing, gaining weight and have a you know, a body mass, um, lean muscle mass loss, significant lean muscle mass loss. The other group that comes in that that, that does really well is people who have uh, chronic pain. They've been, um, whether or not they've suffered an injury, or just have chronic back pain. And they've been to, you know, many, many different therapists, uh, physical therapists, chiropractors, not an indictment on those folks. Uh, they've tried a whole host of different interventions and passive therapies from you know, guasha to electric stem to ice baths or whatever else. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, until they build strength, um, especially in their, uh, in their in their in uh, their spine and, and around their hips, uh, they're they're going to struggle with that pain, and it can't be manipulated away or bent or twisted. They're going to just have to start lifting uh, very gradually, obviously, in order to eventually eliminate that pain. And those people come in and find that, that, that you know, something they've been avoiding all this time is actually the cure. And uh, so we, we have a lot of great results with, you know, even former car accident people mm. and, and the like and chronic back pain. You just get them in and start moving them. Uh, I think that Austin Baraki, of of Medicine, wrote a fantastic article called uh, Pain and Training, What to Do. And uh, there's uh, Dr. Larimar Mosley out of Australia that has the Explained Pain uh, a series of books that are extraordinary. And these folks, once they start moving, I think uh, Greg Knuckles said they become kinesophobic when they have pain. Mm. And that, that is what causes the pain to persist. And so you, I look at physical therapists and chiropractors as facilitators of movement. If you go in and, uh, and they can uh, uh, somehow get you uh, your perception of pain to decline such that you can then move, That movement is paramount to your recovery, and so any kind of movement we can get these people involved with, and then gradual loading over time, uh, then they can, you know, ultimately be pain free and strong again.
0: Uh, Who you said you you, you've been working with a number of different people? Who are you working with right now that you're excited about what what next? What's next for them?
1: Yeah, well, Mark Madsen, uh, three time. Uh, Olympian in wrestling and four uh, 0 in the UFC. He fights this coming Saturday. He just got into town today. He's out of Henry Cejudo's uh, uh, camp, the fight ready camp in Arizona. We were down there last weekend working with Henry Cejudo. Uh, you know, we spent most of last year working with John Jones, and I worked with his brother Chandler, who came here to the Raiders. Um, we're just uh, we're just trying to put our energy. I met with the Arizona State University wrestling coach Zeke. Uh, last week to try and improve uh, maybe their nutrition program uh, you know a lot of those some of those guys need to gain weight some need to lose weight and that's uh, always a challenge with those those weight class sports so uh, I got to be honest with you of all of all those I always say this that you know we wear it as a badge of honor when we train famous athletes but uh, they're the easiest people to train they're the hardest working the most disciplined you know the most talented uh, but uh, I, I, I I'm really enjoying just working with the, the uh, general population in this kids' class has been yeah. probably the most exciting thing I'm doing right now. So they're just so passionate, and they're having fun. And just seeing them come back week after week is, is so rewarding. And uh, the moms are saying these kids love the class, and they, you know, they can't wait to get here. And, and that, to me, is pretty exciting. So uh, that, that's probably what I'm pouring my energy into now. And I, I, the reason I started the class is because I have an 8-year-old son and a 10-year-old daughter, and I wanted them to lift. Uh, and that's not necessarily enjoyable to come in and lift with me. Yeah. So I started this class so they could participate, and it just blew. It grew up from there to now. I say we've got almost thirty kids that come in every week, and it's it's exciting. They enjoy it. That's crazy.
0: Uh, what's your square footage there? Just out of curiosity.
1: Uh, I think the whole gym's like seven thousand, but there's some offices in and an upstairs that's mm-hmm. also appointed. But the area that we put the kids in, we've got uh, six, seven, eight, nine squat racks, and um, we have three benches, but we do some floor pressing out of a couple of the squat racks, and uh, we set up about five deadlift stations. I think there's at least at least 3,500 square feet downstairs, that, uh, and we only use half of that for the kids, but they, there's plenty of room for them.
2: that's that's the beauty of uh lifting weights too is you actually don't need that much square footage yeah like per person per place it's a little different running like a soccer program or a basketball program and how do you deal with the weather and renting out space but i mean you get five kids on a deadlift bar you need six foot that's all you need yeah
1: yep we got some little lightweight bars so that the beginners don't get crushed (laughs) under the bars i suppose you could use a dowel and again i i set up a uh, you know, an SSB box squat for the kids that are a little more advanced. So I Mm -hmm. could try and grow their strength. Um, it's, it's, uh, and we set up a variety of different, we'll set the deadlifts up, uh, you know, going up in weight. So we'll have obviously the lightest station. We just have stations that go up in weight. And then each week I said, the kids, if you did five there last week, then you got to try the next heaviest weight. And they, they kind of get in line based on the, their strength. And they hit the station that, that would challenge them.
0: And they just haven't gotten the the level of disinformation that no. that adults get. Like they're they're taking what you're saying. You're saying your stuff is based on on like logical principles, and they're just not influenced by by you know what people on TikTok are saying. Yeah, I guess they don't have all the biases. Yeah, at them.
2: Yeah, all the myths. Right. It is interesting how the the one group, uh, and maybe this is my, me being jaded, but the one group I feel like hasn't advanced as far as breaking myths and things are kind of like the physical therapy chiropractor world. There's obviously some very great ones out there that are movement-based and strength-based, but there's such a large percentage that will still, as soon as you come in with back pain, they say, well, you better stop lifting. Yeah, Lifting's think, definitely doing I it. I think
0: physicians, too, just, yeah. just regular MDs, too. Yeah, just,
2: it just feels so behind, a little archaic.
1: Yeah, I think these people, the parents, you know, obviously they're they're familiar with me, uh, and that helps quite a bit. I was just looking down here and trying to pull up this article, uh, Resistance Training for Youth uh, by Derek Miles at Barbell Medicine. You can just go to barbellmedicine.com or just uh, Google that name, Resistance Training for Youth. It's a five-part series. Derek's a PhD, Uh, one of the most fantastic, most comprehensive uh, children's, uh, uh, training all around, you know, the whole aspect, including right down to programs for your kids. So if anybody watching, uh, you know, you don't have to come to my class. You just, this stuff, this will take you step by step through what you can do to implement training for your kids as well. And then of course, the American Academy of Pediatrics, as I mentioned, has a a position stand with a, a great, uh, a great article in detail regarding, uh, you know, the benefits of training for kids.
2: Yeah, I think it's amazing. I mean, everyone always talks about the obesity in America and stuff. And I think this is the real way to actually make a difference because no one's reading the food pyramid and just eating cereal all day based on a food pyramid. Yeah. You know, that's not going to change it just because the food pyramid's wrong. Um, it's daily habits. It's myths on training. It's sitting on the couch all day. If you're focused on performance, eventually – you're going to want to dial in your life so much. You're going to just want to eat more protein. You're going to want to clean up the rest of your life because your performance won't get better unless you do. You know, so I think you know, building a foundation of movement, enjoying exercise, some, some of these tools and and habits for long term. Well, that works these kids great for to be kids better. too.
1: I, mean, I was at the uh, uh, NSCA's national conference in Washington D.C. It's been, uh, I think, three or four years ago now. And Dr. Jose Antonio, who's president of the ISSN, International Society of Sports Nutrition, was there pre- presenting, and he was asked uh, to, to talk about kids' nutrition. He has two college-age girls who compete in college sports. He said, you know, to sum it up, get your kid a gram of protein per pound of body weight and don't worry about anything else. Yeah. yeah. And, I, I, and I think as difficult as it is to get kids to apply, because, you know, they, they tend to, to be carb-heavy, uh that would be a great goal to shoot for if you wanted to, to take care of about 90% of what you ever needed to do to to put your kid to make your kid successful uh the protein again like like you said it supports lean mass it uh, it helps with satiation uh it's got a high thermic effect of food so they can eat more with while netting out fewer calories um that's a great place to start in every meal uh, and that would lend itself well for, I think, better body composition and better eating behaviors moving forward. Anytime my kids ask me for a treat, I'm like, did you eat your protein? Yeah. And, and they know. Yeah. They know what's what's good protein. And so I, I focus on that first.
2: Yeah, and if you get that even for adults habits, that's what I do with a lot of my clients, and you tell them to do it all from whole foods, it's going to be real hard to shove in those Cheetos, man. Yeah. Getting 200 grams of protein a day from chicken and beef and whatever is hard. It's not easy.
1: Yeah. Well, even even um, if you get a woman that, say, weighs 170 pounds and she wants to lose some weight, and so you give her a gram of protein per pound of goal weight, and let's say she wanted to get down to 150 or 145, uh, and she only eats three meals a day. Well, she needs 150 grams of protein. Mm-hmm. She's only going to eat three meals a day. Uh, then she needs 50 grams of protein yeah. per meal. Yeah. I know that sounds really high. Maybe, maybe let's just take it down to... Uh, 135 grams of protein that's still 45 grams of protein per meal for the three meals she could certainly eat four meals that you know that would be fine but she's still looking at uh, you know 35 grams of protein so now she gets up to have breakfast and she says well i had an egg and a bagel and a cup of coffee well there's 10 grams All right
2: mm-hmm. where's the other
1: 25 to 35 grams that you need and I get, when I do seminars and I and I, make, I say this very thing, I, I just see this blank look on their faces. How am I going to get 35 to 40 grams of protein? Uh, and I don't think they, they, they would even, they can't even begin to appreciate unless they've tried it, how much they could eat and how full they would be and still lose weight and improve their body composition. If they just swapped out the bagel and I'm not an anti-carb guy, uh, for more, you know, top sirloin steak, chicken breast, egg egg white blend, fat-free Greek yogurt. Just start with those and pile up. I mean, you can almost go on an all-you-can-eat diet if you're just eating lean yeah. protein sources. The four I just mentioned, and you'd have a heck of a time overeating, like you said.
2: That's what I do. I'd eat Greek yogurt out of a salad bowl because it's barely it's barely like sixty grams of protein. Right. Yeah, but I like right. try eating that whole fucking thing. <laughs> you'll fucking throw up. And I'm a fat kid. I love few, food.
1: Throw in a few low sugar fruits. I mean, a pound of strawberries is only like 120 calories. Yeah, think it's blueberries, strawberries, you know, raspberries. You could shovel those in and and have a pretty damn hard time gaining weight. They're so high in water and fiber as it is, and low in calories. And eat them with the yogurt and again the egg egg white blend. And uh, and I don't obviously you know me. I don't uh, I don't demonize red meats. Uh, just stick with the lean stuff, the top sirloins. You know, uh, there's a good 96.4 uh, beef that uh, that I always get over Trader Joe's. So, And that makes for a nice omelet in the morning if you want to, you know, mix all that stuff together and throw in some veggies. It, you know, it's easy to us, right. you know, but we kind of spell it out and show it to them in pictures. And, you know, I hand them a very specific diet and say, try and eat this. And they're like, well, that's too much food and you're losing weight. What a great place to be.
0: Yeah, this is the secret that that is given away for free that people would rather be would rather pay to be told for sure, and then sure. still yeah. reject.
2: Yeah, or buy a pill that doesn't work. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: there's actually a, there is a new pill that um, is not supposed to be approved for weight loss yet. It's supposed to be a, a diabetic treatment, but yeah, I read it. Yeah, but like ten or fifteen percent of your body weight, like like
1: gone. Oh yeah, yeah it's, real it's actually pill. an injectable. It's yeah. an injectable called semaglutide. Uh, is the is the uh, is the chemical the semaglutide, and it is very effective. It's uh, like three times as effective as as the control group in dieting. Um, uh, it, it, it's action is it suppresses appetite. It's not a fat yeah. burner. We know that that people uh, have a hard time losing weight because uh, of hunger. And if, and so we use a whole bunch of strategies, like we just mentioned, higher protein diet for satiety, more fiber, um, you know, higher satiety foods. There's an index that kind of ranks foods by how long they keep you full, and boiled potatoes and oranges keep you full for a long time. Whereas ultra processed food, of course, you're hungry very soon thereafter. It's one of the reasons women with PCOS have such a hard time with their weight is, uh, uh especially those with that, that ultimately end up with insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes uh, is because they they uh their uh leptin signaling and, and uh, ghrelin hormones are all out of whack and so they just they're just hungrier more often and mm. uh, more inclined to eat and it's uh, it's tragic but this medication semaglutide and and is very effective with uh and if if dosed correctly has very minimal side effects i know that some people who take metformin or semaglutide uh, get a little bit of uh, a little bit of stomach discomfort or nausea, but that's dose dependent. And it's incredibly effective. I, uh, Merrick health. I, I have a lot of female clients who have struggled with weight loss for years. And it's simply because at the end of the day, they, they just can't handle uh, the degree of hunger that they experience in these calorie deficits. And we, we pull out all the stops with our toolbox, all those things that I just mentioned, types of foods that they eat, uh, but when they take this, they're just not hungry. And they, they might eat once a day, twice a day, and they're fine. Uh, and it's uh, they have extraordinary results from it. So, yeah, I sent them over to Merrick Health to get the, the semaglutide. That's a product that they provide. It's uh, it's very well received.
0: And do they have to be very careful about what those the meals that they actually eat are? I mean, we're talking about, about protein requirements. Are they...
1: Yeah, you know, you hit the nail right on the head, and I have the same problem with uh, people who are dieting on pretty low calories. You end up, you know, on fifteen hundred calories, fourteen hundred calories. Uh, flexible dieting, or if it fits your macros, doesn't necessarily work that great uh, with those over restrictive diets mm-hmm. because there's so little food in there. You have to you have to work really hard to get sufficient protein, sufficient potassium, calcium. You know, you need forty-seven hundred milligrams of potassium a day. You need a thousand milligrams of calcium a day. You need a, a gram of protein per pound of goal weight. All of those things could be really hard to do if you still, in, if you try an eighty-twenty diet and you're on a super restrictive diet. Uh, that's not to say that that uh, you know an eighty-twenty diet or a, a flexible dieting plan isn't optimal for those people who are afforded enough calories in their day that then they can get all of those uh, macros and micros. Uh, But that is a challenge that I have. I have to be very specific because I need you to eat these foods or you're not going to get sufficient iron or B12 or zinc Mm -hmm. or choline or, you know, all of those things have to be in the diet. But the time you include all of those, there's very little left uh, for, uh, you know, for your favorite snacks, unfortunately. Uh, And so, yes, when you're on semaglutide and you're only eating one or two meals a day, those meals need to be pretty, pretty packed with good nutrition.
2: Yeah, I always say as strict as your goals are is as strict as your your plan needs to be. So if you want to drop five pounds, yeah, you could probably sneak in a Pop-Tart and drop five. But if you're trying to get shredded or you're trying to drop 100 pounds, now we kind of got to lock it in. It's going to get a little weird in there. Agreed. Yep. Sounds like it's
0: pouring rain outside here.
2: Is it? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was maybe a computer fan, but I think it is pouring. No, I
1: think it's rain. Um, well, I'm sorry to everyone who tuned in for information about the backyard meet of the century. <laughs> I, I, somehow, I knew we'd get on to stuff that was uh, that was more relevant and, and current. Well, that was just the that excuse, just, right? Right. I mean, that yeah, was just the throwback the excuse of after reunion all this time. The like,
2: reunion episode of yeah, yeah. You know, whatever sitcom. Yeah, we've certainly
0: uh, been involved with enough content with you over the years that uh, um, you know we probably shouldn't have let this amount of time go for it. We've been doing this show for four years. For heaven's sakes. So we should definitely uh, uh have had you on sooner and we'll definitely have you back on again. Um and we'll not I talk come about up and some train underneath. with you
1: guys sometime. I gotta do it before Mike starts beating my deadlift. I gotta <laughs> get up there and one one last time spank him before I'm too old to I come in there in a in a walker or a wheelchair and I can't beat him.
2: I know I'm I'm coming after her right now.
1: What's your best lately? I hit a seven twenty five dead last week. All right, I got
2: 726 in December.
0: There you go. Okay. <laughs> well, come and see us for sure. You are always welcome.
1: Thank you, guys. Appreciate you.
0: Um, where can people uh, find you, Stan?
1: StanEffording.com. Everything's at Stan Effording. My Instagram, Stan Effording. My uh, YouTube is Stan Effording. And my meal prep company, nationwide meal prep company, the Vertical Diet, uh, VerticalDiet.com. You can get to that through Stan Effording as well. And uh, that's been going great. We're selling meals nationwide, Monster Mash to your door. That's that's been a fun project for me.
2: Not sponsored, but I ate a couple of those at uh, Bart's house. Bart gets them all the time. And I I stay with Bart almost once a month now. And he cooked me up one and they actually are really, really good. And that's not sponsored. That's not Stan didn't pay me, but uh, you've done a really good job. Yeah, they taste delicious.
1: That's great. Yeah, I make BART pay, too. Everybody pays. (laughs) Ass, grass, or cash, nobody rides for free. (laughs) He's probably paying an ass, I would imagine. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Have you seen the ass on that guy? Anyway.
2: Yeah um yeah thanks so much for chatting with us hopefully we do it again and uh maybe a little deadlift session in person sometime
0: yeah you, you know we actually have a set back here if you can kind of tell so you can kind of come in and sit with us and we'll we'll chat again i am at dj mcd on all those social media this show is 50 percent facts where percent is a word and 50 is just numbers 50 percent facts is a spreaker prime podcast in association with iheartmedia on the obscure celebrity network and we'll talk to you on friday